0: So today, in our fourth Sunday, we're going to be continuing in the study of the book of Galatians. In this unique letter in the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul telling us about what's really important in the Christian life and how to have a Christian life that really matters. I want to review real quickly for the last few weeks to catch you up to speed, Uh, week one we learned about two brands of Christianity, the life-giving or the life-sucking, life-draining brand of Christianity. And in the context, Paul, the author, was just mad. He was mad at what was going on in the church that was hurting the people. He loved these guys. And these people came out from the outside teach saying, oh, yeah, it's great you're a Christian, but you have to do all these Jewish laws. And it was hurting them. It was Killing, it was stifling the life they had in their relationship with God. So, Paul talked about that. And in week one, we talked about uh, the two brands of Christianity. Religion is what I do for God, my own strength, which I never feel like is enough. But, relationship is the brand where I just accept what God has given to me through Jesus, salvation and a relationship with Him. Week one was a foundational message. I encourage you, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, to go back and check that out. Now, in week two, we talked about the fact that with these two brands of Christianity, we can swing back and forth, kind of like there's a, a, a vine here on a tree, and we're on this branch, but we can swing over here to being legalistic and rules-minded and all of that, and that just drains the life out of us. And Paul gave us the secret about having to stay in the correct tree, with a tree where there's life and religion is not going on, but relationship. Now, last week in week three, we saw Paul take an entire chapter to discuss grace, and we unpacked that beautiful Bible word, grace, and we learned that it's the free gift that God gives us that is the fuel for our Christian life, okay? All right, that's weeks one through three. Now, today in week four, we're going to talk about the most important overarching truth that brings all the others together so far, okay? And that truth is simply wrapped up in one word, relationship. Relationship, guys. If you don't have a hold about this, if you don't have a have your arms around this component, this concept, your Christian life won't work near as well. You, you, you'll be swinging from tree to tree, way, way too much. God didn't intend for you to be religious, but to have an awesome relationship with Him. Now, Paul, as we're going to see, defines relationship with God as sonship okay? The word sonship. So let's start looking at some verses in Galatians. First off, back to chapter 3. Oh, by the way, uh, each week we encourage folks where we're going. Next week is chapter 5. So if you'd like to read ahead, be extra prepared, you can read chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 5 of Galatians for next week. Okay, Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. So there's sonship. We're all sons. And so obviously it's generic. It means men and women in general. It's a general term to describe God's kids. Now, ladies, I know you probably don't like being called a son, but us guys have to be called the part of the bride of Christ, okay? So there's, you know, a little bit of a trade-off there, okay? All right, let's dive into chapter 4 here of Galatians. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. So right here, Paul's saying Jesus came to relate to us in two ways. He was born of a woman. He was born physically, but he was also coming spiritually, okay? He related to us in both ways. Let me read on. That we might receive adoption to sonship. There it is. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So because I have God... In my life, he's here. Because he has me, I have him. I love that. The spirit of his son enter our hearts. There's this spirit of Jesus that can live in you and live in me. And we keep saying Christianity is not a belief system. It's a trusting relationship. Okay? Let me finish on. So, oh, I'm sorry. Um, The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba is a Hebrew word for daddy. And so... Paul is saying, the spirit of Jesus that's in you reaches out and desires the Father and says, Daddy, Father, addressing God personally, not religiously, but personally. Now, this concept of relating to God as an Abba, Father, as a Daddy, might be, was very foreign to them, and it might be foreign to some of you, too. Look at the conclusion of this paragraph. So, you are no longer a slave. Over here in legalism, you're a slave to the rules and trying to measure up, okay? He says, you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Think about that. Not, it's as if it wasn't great enough to, to know God and have him in my life and have eternity with him, he says, you're my heir. You inherit from me. Well, this slave and son metaphor is useful. So we're going to contrast slave and son and relate it to our walk with God here for a minute, okay? So first off, the slave has a master. The slave has a master. You think just the word master says it all, doesn't it? Demanding, not kind, always saying, don't do this, don't do that. And the slave is like, oh, just don't hurt me. Okay, I'll do good. Uh, There's a church in Mexico where the people go to church on their knees. They walk on their knees all the way to the church, and the different streets in town where people do that are marked with the blood on their knees. They're trying to impress God. They're trying to earn something from God they don't have to do. Uh, That's not what God wants. That's that spirit of religion, not the spirit of God's son that we're talking about here. So the slave has a master. The son has a father. The son has a father. I want you to picture a father and in, in this case picture a father with younger kids. And they're jumping in his lap, playing and having fun, and they're not afraid to approach daddy. Yeah, they know he's the boss and you know he's in charge and, and he's gonna, you know, be concerned on how they live, but they just relate to him because he's daddy and they jump in his lap and they pray. Uh, have I mentioned that I have a granddaughter yet to y'all, but... Okay, just just in case, just in case. I I mean, it takes at least a couple hundred times, doesn't it, sweetie, to, you know, be sure people know something. Well, uh, my granddaughter, Olive, is the firstborn grandchild in our family and my oldest son, Joel's first child. And it it was just so cool. The first time we went to uh, San Diego to meet Olive, we went there, and my son is Mr. Intense. I mean, Joel is just focused. He's strategic. He's very strong mentally and focused and all that he does and serious all the time. I mean, he can have fun, but his default is, "Mm." you know, he's thinking all the time. So I go and we meet baby Olive and having a great time. And I hear Joel back in in the child's room and he's changing Olive's diaper. He doesn't say, okay, Olive, I'll change your diaper. My serious, intense son says, Baby Olive had a blowout. Oh, I love your blowouts. I'm thinking, that's my son? What happened to him? Well, parenthood happened to him. And just like uh, it's special in our family, it was special to Jesus. You might recall kids came to Jesus. The disciples were just like, give him room, give him room. But he said, no, 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 let the kids come. They were drawn to the life and the love. They knew he was special and that the parents knew he was a teacher and all that. But they just loved him. And they ran and jumped at his lap, and he even took time. To, we learn in the, uh, the Bible that Jesus put his hands on them and blessed them, each and every one. That's a father. That's what God wants for you. Now, here's something real important. You can tell what kind of relationship you have with someone by the words you use to uh, describe them, by your title for them, by your name for them. For instance, I have four adult kids, and they call me dad, daddy, pops, and one of them calls me old man, even. And I don't mind. Maybe it's because I call her my little girl. I don't know, but uh, it, it's just cool. They have their loving names for me. They, they call me dad or daddy. So when you pray, how do you aggress God? Oh, almighty, omnipotent ruler of the universe, and maker of all things. Everything I said was true. That's all true. But do you ever say, daddy, I love you, daddy, What's up? Daddy, help me out. Do you ever address God with with that heart? Ever? Let me repeat. You can see what kind of relationship someone has by the names they use. Okay, let's go on. More slave and son comparisons. The slave is an employee. The slave is an employee. Have you ever been to a restaurant and uh, the host there? Wasn't just working real hard. I mean, you could see there were tables available, and there's a bunch of people waiting, and you're just like, you know, what's up? You know, they should be moving us. And of course, I wouldn't notice if it's even at all like that because I'm impatient. But still, it, it happens, right? And and you're thinking, come on, get get with it, sit us down. Well, if that was the business owner acting as host that day, do you think those tables would be empty? Oh no, oh no, he's got a steak and you sitting and eating his steak. That was a pretty good pun there. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, So the business owner gets you in there, but some people relate to God just as a boss. And so their heart isn't really in the family business because they're just an employee. They don't see themselves in this business. They just work for God. And that really affects how you relate to him. If all you do is see him as boss, yes, sir, I'll do that. Okay, it's my duty. Here I go. On the other hand, the son is an heir. We read it earlier. He's an heir. The father's business is your business too. You don't work for God, you work with God. Uh, Over the years, I've learned uh, to pray this prayer while we're worshiping. I say, okay, God, me and you, we're on, me and you, I'm ready, let's go, me and you. And he's helped me develop this sense of that I'm serving with him in this family business. Now, let me uh, ask you kind of put it in a church context if, if you're a part of the Ignite family, you're committed here. You're giving of yourself, your time, your resources. This is your church. Well, if that's you, you own everything here. You, you own the building and the great chairs we have, matching chairs finally, the cafe that, that's so awesome. You own that. And if you have that mentality, I want to lead you through a, through a thought here. If that's your mentality, yeah, this is my place. I've got I've got ownership in this thing. I'm committed. And so you're leaving your car and you're walking in. You see a piece of trash on the ground. What are you going to do? Are you just going to walk by uh, and some trash? Uh-uh. If you're part owner here, like we all are, you're going to grab that thing up and say, I don't want my place to look trashy. And you come in, you, you throw it away. You, you look around and... Um, you, you see somebody here who's probably new because they're kind of, hmm, look around. You walk up and say, hey, can I help you find something? You know, Are you uh, new here? That's what you do when you're involved and engaged and committed. You're part of the business, so to speak. Uh, I got a, a call a few weeks ago uh, for, or a text from someone saying, hey, Ed, the, the light switch is out uh, to the stairs over there in, in the building. And I'm thinking, okay. And the text went on and saying, oh, we checked it out. And we're sure that's what it is. So in my mind, I'm like, these guys were at the church. They flipped that light, didn't work. So they had to go find the breaker, figure it out, and say, yeah, okay, it's the switch. And did all that work so we could just do the simple job of changing out the switch. Why? Those guys took ownership of the place. They cared. They wanted us to have lights up the stairs so the kids could get up there. Well, we're heirs. We're heirs with God in his family business. And look at this. Our heirship gets even better. Look at this verse from Romans. The Apostle Paul writing to these folks in Rome said this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs with God on the same level that Jesus is. Just let that sit in your mind a second. The same level that God loves and honors his son and relates to him. It's me and you both. We are co-heirs with Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a, a big statement here. I want you to go with me here a little bit. Everything God has, he wants you to have. Everything he has, he wants you to have. You are his heir, and more, than you're his co-heir with his wonderful son. Now, in, in the, uh, the church today, you know the, the broader church, uh, all the believers, there's controversy and confusion over the subject of prosperity. We've talked about that and tried to figure that out here as a church. Well, here's the balance and prosperity and what God wants you to have, okay? God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to those around you. That's how he thinks. He wants you to have more than enough so you can operate in his family business of loving and serving other people. God wants you to have more than you need so you can share. You need more than you have so you can share even more. So this is a healthy prayer to pray in this regard. Father, give me more than I need so my needs will be met and I can share with others. Because God, I'm committed to this family business. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I am all in for your kingdom and for the value of people. Makes a difference. All right, one last uh, metaphor. The slave is driven by duty. The slave is driven by duty. What he does, he does just because he feels obligated like he should. But the son is driven by devotion. There's such a big difference in duty and devotion. Look at this story from the Gospels of Jesus relating to two sisters, and let's see if we can find some devotion here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So let's pause there. Was it okay for Martha to care about dinner? Sure, it was okay. But did you catch that word? She wasn't just thinking about it. Oh, what are we going to do? She was distracted by getting ready. For a meal. Both these sisters loved Jesus. They both wanted to honor him. They had a good relationship with him, but they were not at the same place on this particular day. So let's read on. So Martha, who's distracted by the preparations, she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha's not in a good place. You know, she's not only distracted and thinking of stuff, now she's fussing at Jesus because of her sister. You know, she's not in a great place. Now, look how Jesus responds. Martha, Martha, he answered, you are worried and upset about many things. You're coming from the wrong way. You're worried and upset about the wrong things right now. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Martha, Martha, it, it, we'll get to dinner, but right now we're hanging out and, and, and I'm sharing some stuff that you'll really like if you'll take the time to sit down by your sister Mary and, and, and listen to what we're talking about. So Mary chose to operate out of relationship. When Jesus came, she just had to be in front of him right there. And, and Martha, you know, it's good to serve, but at that moment she wasn't choosing to operate out of relationship. She was operate, operating out of duty. Right, It's my duty to feed the guys. Mary there operating out of devotion. So how do I get there? How do I actually learn to live focused on my relationship with God, my inheritance with Jesus, with my part in this family business? Well, let's look at some more stuff from Galatians 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So here we see the answer to living in relationship with Jesus is simply this. You gotta know him. You gotta know him. We know this intuitively. We know to have a friend, we've gotta know them and hang out and spend time and build some relational history. Well, it's the same thing in living relationship with God, we got to know him. It's a good, good question to pause sometimes and just think, what, what do I think God's like? You know, what, what's he like? What do I know about God? What do I know about this friend, this father of mine? So here's three things we can do to know God, okay? Number one, see God as a father. We talked about the father-son, the father-child relationship. What's your perception of God? When you approach God, what's he look like to you? Your view of God determines your relationship with God. Let me say that again. Your view of God, how you see God, how you perceive him, how you understand him, it determines your relationship with him. And if you see him as the mean master, the boss, your relationship is <laughs> If you see him as a loving father, it makes all the difference in the world. Look at what... Uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he said, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is blowing their mind. He is, he's trying to get them to realize you, you've had God all wrong. They've seen God as the angry God with the lightning bolt just you know, ready to skewer somebody who steps out of line. But Jesus is saying, no, he's a father. He's a father with good things for you. That's how we need to perceive God. Now, that sounds simple and easy, but let's acknowledge it. it's not always easy because you, the word father may not be a happy word for some people because at best, you had an imperfect human father and at worst, it could have been a lot worse. And so, God has to, to rewire our, our mind to come to a place we see father as a good thing. There's, there's a kind of a healing, I call it inner healing, an emotional healing over a bad childhood, over what some call a father wound. Yeah, he's just, I can tell, he's not over what his father did to him. So we get that. But we say, don't miss out on relating to God as a perfect father who loves you perfectly. Let me uh, use myself for an example here. Growing up, my dad had a job that had him away for three months at a time, then he'd come home for two weeks. Then he'd be gone for three months and home for two weeks. So as you can imagine, how can you be close to somebody who's gone three quarters of your life? And so I have two memories that kind of illustrate where I was relating to my father. One memory is we had a room in the house where we watched TV or read and had the piano and all that stuff there. And one memory I have of my dad is that he'd sit in his chair and he loved to read. And so he'd be reading and I'd sit on the floor in front of him and I'd be watching TV or maybe reading myself, whatever. And he'd have his foot up on my back and with his toes, he would just kind of scratch my back. And I could just still remember, oh yeah, right there. You know, oh, right there, that'll be good. I mean, this was a common thing between him and me. And it was wonderful. On the other hand, though, I had this picture. I'm playing outside with my my friends in the neighborhood, and we're having a good time, and my dad's leaving to go back away for three months. And so he's coming up our driveway, and I look over them. Do I run over there and jump in the car and give him one last big hug, goodbye? Love you, Daddy. No, I just wave. See you, Dad. Why would I do that? I was his son. I know he loved me, but we weren't close. But God wants to be close. And a major breakthrough for me personally was realizing that God's a father who wants to be 24-7. He he wants to relate to me all the time. And he really loves me that much. And, And I had to get to that point where I didn't see God as just loving and okay, but gone and distant, just checking on me now and then, but a God who really cared to have a father-son relationship with me. Well, that's what you need to do with God to know him. See him as father. If father is a tough word for you, ask him to heal your heart. He wants to because he wants you to get it what a good father is, what he is. Number two, how can we know God? Approach God through relationship, not rules. Let your mindset be relationship, not rules. Now, uh, like you probably experienced in your household growing up there were rules right we did this we don't do this we we did chores, we did these things, and there was just household rules and that that's very reasonable and that's that's very normal well uh the, and this applied to outside the house stuff too what you're involved in, you do it a certain way, you know well. My second son, Daniel, was a gifted musician as a young man, so, much so that he became our church worship leader at the ripe old age of 16 and did a great job. And he helped redesign the stage and make it a lot better for us. I mean, he just did a great job. And we paid him some, but not near what he was worth. But that's not why he was doing it. He wasn't doing it for the money. He was doing it because he felt a calling there. Well, one day he came to me and said, Dad, Uh, instead of my pay this week, could the church buy me this guitar? I've got my eye on this guitar. And so we were looking online and I said, well, show it to him. And he shows it to me. And the price was reasonable because it was a very good guitar, but it was more than we were paying him monthly. And so I said, I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's a difference in the price. You know, we could make it two months salary or he could pay some, but then it, it just hit me. He is doing a great job. He's loving what he's doing and doing it for the right reasons. So I said, son, we'll just buy you the guitar. And he looked at me and he said, really? I said, yeah. And this son who was uh, the oldest in Joel's Mr. Intense, Daniel's Mr. Organized and Focused with his mind. And he's not super affectionate by nature. But this son jumps up and comes over and gives me a bear hug because we're going to buy him a guitar. And uh, the funny thing about the rest of the guitar story is that uh, the guitar was great. It played well. It was an electric guitar, but it was extra heavy. I mean, you stand up with this thing on your shoulder for a little while, and after like 10 minutes, you're like, dang, this thing is heavy. And he was smaller than me and, and not a real big, strong guy necessarily. And after I had the guitar a little while, I was like, uh, he's not liking it. He's not playing it a lot on Sundays. And so I thought, well, he's going to do the typical musician thing. He was a drummer and he was always upgrading his drums and selling these cymbals and buying those, you know. So I thought, well, he'll do something like that with that guitar and that'll be fine. It's his guitar. But he didn't. And he played it less and less because it was so heavy, but he wouldn't trade it away. And I asked him one day, son, why don't you, you know, get something that's not so heavy because I know you want a good electric guitar. He's like, oh, no, that's okay, that's okay. And years later, he still had it at 10 years and still didn't play it very much, and I realized, wait a minute, this is more than an instrument to him. To him, this reflects my heart for him and our church's heart of appreciation wanting to give to him. So he didn't do anything. He didn't give it away for over 10 years. Now, in that case, I did pretty good. I was by no means a perfect dad, but I I did pretty good, but the point is, It's how we approach God through relationship. If we believe we are in his heart, we'll believe he wants to love us. He wants to reach out to us. If I see him right as a father and then I approach him relationally, it makes all the difference in the world because you may not feel it, but if you're his kid, you're in his heart. You are in the heart of God, and he sees you as a son or daughter, he sees you as his heir. He wants you to approach him as a father and approach him relationally. Finally, number three, what's the third thing that we can do to know God like he really is? Give God my whole heart. Give God my whole heart. Look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is an Old Testament prophet speaking for God. So this is God speaking through a prophet, okay? God says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm like. And you can know, but you've got to go all in. It's got to be with all of your heart. Then he goes and says, adds this to it just to make sure we get it. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If you seek me with all, my, all your heart. If you go all in with me, you'll get to know what I'm really about. The antithesis of this verse is obviously, if you only seek me with part of you, you only think about me once a week or whatever, you're not going to find me like I want you to and like you need to. Half-hearted Christianity doesn't really work. A lot of people kind of get interested in God and in Jesus and maybe come to church for a while or whatever, but after a while they just kind of fade out and, and drop out because they never went all in and never learned what God is really like and how much he loves and cares for each and every one of us. One last illustration for my family. I realize I'm using my family a bunch today, but here's one last one. My wife loves me. I don't know why she just does, and God's put me in her heart. And it, we just have a wonderful marriage. And I'm so far from perfect, but I think she's pretty close. But I'm I'm really far from it. But she just loves me, it, and it's cool. It's not about how good I am or what I do for her. She just loves me and expresses that. Recently, we went on a, a long vacation. We were together twenty four seven for seventeen straight days. We were on the road. We were gone. And in 17 days, 24-7, we didn't get on each other's nerves. I mean, she never got tired of me. It it was great. We were best friends, having a great time. Why? Because from Lori's perspective, I'm in her heart, and she's motivated to want to love me. Uh, We like to play games. We'll play card games and stuff. And when I first married her, she was the sweetest gal, and she wasn't competitive, and we'd play games. She'd say, oh, I'm glad you won. And I'm like, well, that's no fun. Not now. I have created a monster now. But if we play card games, her motto is, you want mercy, go to church. You know, we are playing. And yet, because I'm in her heart, she'll beat me at a game and then she'll say, I'm sorry. And she really means it. She's not just talking trash because she loves me. Well, that's how you are with God. When you get to this place with God, you'll want to love and serve him eagerly. He'll be in your heart, and you'll realize how much you're in his heart. And you can ultimately come to this place. I, I, I visit here, okay? I'm going to be honest with you this, this morning. I don't live here all the time, but I do visit, and it's really good, okay? And here's the place you can come to. You can come to the place that your heart for God is, God, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. I love you with all of my heart. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for being my father, my best friend. I love you the most. What can I do to just make your day? Now, I don't live there, but boy, when I visit, it's sweet because that's what we were created for, to just live in love, so to speak, with God. We can all be there. We can all get past visiting to living there by his grace and his help. So the whole message comes down to this last simple phrase, relationship changes everything. Relationship changes everything. Y'all stand. We're going to pray. After we pray, I we'll want to encourage you if you need prayer for anything in your life, we'll have prayer teams up here on my right and left. And these guys would love to pray for you about anything burdening your heart today. Also, again, guests, if you have that completed card, I want to remind you please go by the cart out there and turn that in so we can give you that gift. Okay, let's pray. God, today, we want to say, help us know who you really are so we can relate to you in the healthiest way possible. Show us how much you care, how great a daddy you really are, despite how good or bad we are. Lord, show us how much you want for us in this life and how much you want us in on your family business. Help us to see you as father, to approach you based on our relationship and to go all in with you. Lord, this week, let us all go all in with you more than we ever have before. Fill our heart with your love, our Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.